Welcome to Luke 21 Radio, a broadcast explaining biblical prophecy in the tradition of St. Augustine. And now, from Greenville, South Carolina, here's your host, Steve Wood. Hello, this is Steve Wood, and this is episode 300 of Luke 21 Radio. We've made it to 300 episodes, and our episode today is entitled Tartarus Today. In case you've never heard of Tartarus, spelled T-A-R-T-A-R-U-S, you want to go back one episode to 299 and get the backdrop on Tartarus, which is explicitly mentioned in 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 4. But first, a word. Most of you are listening to Luke 21 because you want to know what the Bible has to say about the future. I'm with you. I'm one reason I'm doing this, okay? But in addition to knowing about the future, it's also important to use biblical prophecy to perceive what is happening in our world today. And sometimes the second aspect of studying biblical prophecy can be difficult and yet very important, knowing what's going on today. And again, from 2 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 4, for if God did not spare the angels when they sinned, but cast them into Tartarus and committed them to pits of nether gloom to be kept until the judgment. For if not spare the ancient world, but preserve Noah with seven other persons when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. Tartarus is a common word amongst Greek mythology and those who have studied Greek mythology and upon the ancient Greeks. If you look in, for instance, the Encyclopedia Britannica, Tartarus is the infernal regions in ancient Greek mythology. It was originally used for the deepest region of the world. In other words, whoever's in Tartarus is the worst of the worst of the worst. And it's a, the place of uh, punishment for the Titans. The great heroes of Greek mythology really aren't heroes. They were the fallen watchers of Genesis 6. That's where they are imprisoned. And unfortunately, most Catholic scripture scholars hadn't caught up with Second Peter, our first pope, but thankfully they are now. Things have, have uh, changed in modern biblical scholarship, and they're recognizing what's spoken of in Genesis 6, what's recorded in Jude, what's recorded in Second Peter, and also what's mentioned in First Enoch, has the traditional understanding of Genesis chapter 6, namely, these are fallen angels cohabitating with human women, producing giants who are corrupting and dominating the ancient world. Evangelical Michael Heiser, who's kind of an expert on this whole thing, he says the following, recent scholarly work on Mesopotamian literature associated with the events before and after the great flood have produced clear, unambiguous, point-for-point parallels to what we read in Genesis 6, verses 1 through 4. These parallels demonstrate with no uncertainty that this biblical passage was specifically written to denigrate 
Mesopotamian ideas of the superiority of their gods and culture. He goes on to say, in the Mesopotamian material, the divine beings who lived at the time of the flood were called Apkalu. Mesopotamian religion saw these generations of Apkalu uh, having preserved in Babylon this great culture, which they thought was superior to all others of the world because it came from these divine and semi-divine beings who were really demons. And Heiser goes on to say, Genesis hits the Mesopotamian claims head on. It's the first salvo in the long war against Yahweh and his people. So the whole purpose of Genesis 6 is to be a contrary claim against ancient Babylon and its source of greatness. Why is this important? Okay, we're talking about Tartarus today. Well, Babylon's greatness reappears in history, towards the end of history. You read Revelation 17 and Revelation 18. What is it talking about? Mystery Babylon the Great. It reappears in eschatology, and it's the same thing. It's the same errors from early Genesis, repeating again what Jesus warned about, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the coming of the days of the Son of Man. Now, what's the big deal for today? That's the emphasis here, because if you want to go through this, again, back up to episode 299, just our last episode, and go back, if you skip Genesis 6, you think, well, what important biblical prophecy would come out of Genesis 6? Well, if you don't know Genesis 6, you don't know what's happening in the news, what's behind what's happening in the news. So if you need a little remedial work, those are episodes 222 to 225. But we're going to jump forward to Revelation chapter 9, two incredibly important verses. Revelation 9.1, and the fifth angel blew his trumpet. Okay, there are seven trumpet judgments announced in the book of Revelation, and these are fierce judgments, and when the trumpet blows, it's like a formal announcement that judgment is coming on the world. So this was the judgment. I saw a star fallen from heaven to earth, and he was given the key of the shaft of the bottomless pit. In Greek, the bottomless pit is called the abyss. Verse 2, Revelation 9-2, he opened the shaft of the bottomless pit, and from the shaft rose smoke like the smoke of a great furnace, and the sun and the air were darkened with the smoke from the shaft. Now, here's where we go from Tartarus and the flood to Tartarus and today. The opening of the shaft of the bottomless pit in Revelation 9, verses 1 and 2, is the opening of the abyss. It's the opening of Tartarus. They were condemned after the flood 
and placed, this demonic army was condemned to be imprisoned until a certain point in time, near the end times, when that pit would be opened and a demonic army unleashed on the world. And when the pits open, the dark spirits that are imprisoned in Tartarus or the abyss are free to lead the world into the final apostasy mentioned in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, but is not mentioned in the Catholic collectionary readings, at least in the United States. The Navarre Bible, the Catholic Study Bible, has this note. It says, behind this passage lies the notion that the demons are incarcerated in the bowels of the earth. When the fifth trumpet is blown, God is going to let the demonic forces loose to wreak havoc on those of mankind who refuse to recognize God. Okay? Now, we get to the comment on Revelation 9 by Dr. Gregory Beale, his commentary on Revelation, and it's a very detailed, expansive, scholarly commentary on Revelation, but I personally believe it's the best one in the world. Uh, I am going to tell you what he mentions about Revelation 12, but just before we get there, I want to recap because we're going through a lot of important information. We're talking about 2 Peter 2.4 when Peter mentions God did not spare the angels when they sinned, but cast them into what many translations say, hell or something like that. But if you look at the footnotes by that word hell, it says Tartarus. Tartarus was this deep, deepest, bottomless pit in which the fallen angels occurring at the time of the flood of Noah were cast. And yet Revelation 9 verses 1 and 2 says these uh, demonic forces uh, will be unchained. They'll be released upon the world, and there will be a great darkening as a result. This is what Dr. Beale says about this passage. The precise form of judgment involves deception, which is metaphorically anticipated by the darkness caused by the smoke. Throughout the New Testament, and especially in the Johannine corpus, that's John's writings, like Revelation, darkness symbolizes spiritual blindness. And this is a spiritual blindness announced by the fifth trumpet with the opening of the abyss, Tartarus, that something would come upon the world that hasn't been present since the days of Noah. The seriousness of the announcement of the fifth trumpet, I can't, I can't think of anything more serious. Now, I would like to express my opinion, and before I express my opinion, I need to promise you that I am fallible and not infallible. Yet, with that disclaimer, I'm going to share with you my opinion that Tartarus, that is the abyss of 2 Peter 2 and Revelation 9, is, present tense, wide open. The demonic spiritual blindness from Tartarus, the smoke 
that brings this spiritual darkness over the world has infected us today. Some examples, uh, same-sex marriage. Now you're thinking, oh, wait a second. How can you have same-sex marriage? Because marriage, by definition, is that sacred union between a man and a woman. So how can you have same-sex marriage? It's a contradiction in terms. Or the whole transgender movement. I mean, I could understand how maybe somebody before, say, like the 1960s could be confused about this. But anybody who's been through high school knows about DNA and that every cell in our body is either one of two genders. And yet a $90 billion company uh, lets you choose between 58 genders and counting. This, you might say, is insane. I say it's not just insane. It's demonic blindness as a result of Tartarus having already been opened. And you look further, and we're going to be studying First Enoch a little bit when we get to Jude, because Jude actually quotes First Enoch. But we, we see a recording in Enoch, those early chapters of First Enoch, and this was widely read and accepted in the Dead Sea Scroll area, the New Testament era, that arts of seduction, knowledge of warfare, and how women can perform abortions were all recorded as being taught to mankind by this spiritual darkness. I'm Steve Wood, your host. You've been listening to episode 300 of Luke 21 Radio. Do me a favor, listen to this one twice. God bless. Luke 21 is a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. Visit us online at luke21.com.